Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners, and I want to go ahead and thank... Lori, for supporting us at support.greatdetectives.net, you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters. For as little as $2 per month, just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it is time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date on this episode is is April the 9th, 1952, and the title is The University Fix. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. The alarming increase in the use of narcotics among high school and college students has become a threat to American life. And the arch-criminals of the century are those who sell and distribute this destroyer of youth. To put a halt to this insidious traffic has long been the aim of our Federal Bureau of Narcotics. This story is about one of the special agents and the part he played in the recent nationwide crackdown on dope peddlers and their unfortunate victims. The details I obtained from his divisional chief. In it, I assume the identity of Special Agent Alan Newhouse in the file case entitled The University Fix, in which only the names and places are fictional. The orders for this assignment came in the form of a cryptic telegram from my chief. Report to Dean of Men, Dr. Paul Warner, Boyne University, immediately, it said. Nothing more. A three-hour plane ride, and I was walking down the corridor toward the dean's office. I knocked on his door. Come in. Dr. Warner? Well, come in. Sit down. Thanks, I'm... uh... Alan Newhouse. Yes, I know. I've been told to expect you. You uh, once held an assistant professorship in political science at Galesbury College. Seven years ago. Why? I wish to assure myself that you have the necessary background for your series of lectures here. Oh, wait a minute. Let's take it a little slower. What series of lectures here? On government. Political science, eh? Didn't you know? No. No. That's one of the things my chief neglected to tell me. For obvious reasons, I would have yelled my head off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you won't disappoint the students, especially the co-eds. No doubt you have a pipe to go with that tweed suit of yours. Several. (laughs) That's all. Your first lecture will be given in two days, Theater 17. You have no further instructions for me, Doctor? None. Or perhaps the name of someone I can contact. Now, if you'll excuse me. Uh, I don't understand. Good day, sir. Thank you. 
The dean gave me a scholastic bum's rush out of his office. But this didn't bother me nearly as much as the lack of specific instructions about my assignment here. I phoned Washington, but my chief was away. There remained only one thing for me to do. Prepare for my first lecture on government. Two days later, I was ready for the ordeal. I conclude this introductory talk with a few observations made by Whitelaw Reed. We have good warrant to expect from the scholar a freedom from pressure. But for one minor fault, the lecture went very well. The only thing wrong was that nobody was listening to me. The girls had countless things to talk and giggle about. One of them, a good-looking brunette, considerably older than the other girls, I had found particularly irksome. To always hear the other side. That will be all for today. The ordeal was over and the students began filing past my desk. The noisy brunette, accompanied by a sallow-looking youth, stopped in front of me. Professor Newhouse, I just had to tell you how much I enjoyed your lecture. The girls are going for you, Prof. Yeah, well... This is discussion night at our sorority house, and if I could persuade you to come and talk to the girls... Uh, she means one at a time, Professor. Buzz. And the girls would love to have you. See, just what I said. Now, if you two valedictorians will excuse me, I... The big brush, Margie. Let's go. I'll talk to you again, Professor. Soon. Uh, delighted, I'm sure. Isn't he a doll? A little old, but a doll anyway. <laughs> The brunette, her name was Margaret Pendleton, had evidently made me her project for the coming semester. I avoided her as well as I could, even to the point of rudeness. Five days had passed, and I still had no inkling whatever of what my real purpose at Boyne University was to be. I was walking home from the library one night. It was a pleasant evening, and I stopped on the Oak Street Bridge to look down at the water. I heard some light footsteps behind me, but paid no attention to them. When they stopped and a woman took her place at my side, I was very much conscious of her presence. Without looking, I knew it to be Margaret. This is a beautiful spot, isn't it? It was. I've been trying to get you alone. I want to talk to you. About government? You don't like me very much, do you? Perhaps in a nightclub, something like that. Your um, talents seem slightly out of place in a university. Oh, you're a mean, stuffy intellectual. No wonder you're still a bachelor. Good. Now, perhaps you'll turn your magic charms elsewhere. Hmm? No. Let's go for a walk. I'll walk you right home. Somebody should have a talk with your parents. All right, Dad. Come on, let's sit down on this bench. I'm tired. No. Sit down. Huh? I said sit down. Oh, so this is what college is all about now, eh? Do they give degrees for this? That's better. Look, Miss Pendleton, Margaret. I want... Margaret. And may I call you Alan? Or do you prefer Alan Newhouse, Special Agent, Federal Government? Well, how do you know that? <laughs> because I'm your contact. C-O-N-T-A-C-T. I've been trying to tell you that for five days. Narcotics. Here at college? Uh-huh. Nearly a hundred student addicts. Four students selling the stuff. You mean to say these Sucked kids... in before they know what it's all about. Oh. A couple of drags of marijuana, then a whole cigarette. All for free. At first. Then when it becomes a part of them, it starts costing. Uh-huh. How about the source of supply? Man by the name of Jimmy Beardsley. Then we're ready to close in. Good. No, not yet. We're after the top man. Now, that's where you come in. Right now. We're going to meet Jimmy. I've told him all about you. Like what? Like, um, 
The professor is a junkie. Me? A high-class junkie. Oh. oh, this is my car. You'll get your supply from him. You know him pretty well? Well, he's a little more susceptible than you were to my uh, talents. What kind of a guy is this, Beardsley? Slum boy, makes good, acquires polish. Good-looking, virile. Had quite a case on Eleanor Warner, the dean's daughter. Is Warner's daughter mixed up in this, too? Oh, very much so. Poor kid got on the stuff. Her dad found out she's taking the cure someplace. Nobody knows where. It's enough to make your flesh crawl. Well, that's one of the reasons Jimmy wants to meet you. Oh. Figures you can find out where Eleanor is. He wants to know badly. Why? He wouldn't tell me. Well, it'd be nice if I could find out. Yes. Oh, we're almost there now. Corky's Tavern. Oh, uh, yes, uh... <laughs> Jimmy thinks you like me. Like me an awful lot. Well, on sober reflection, I think I can play that part very convincingly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the place. How come they put a girl on narcotics? It's tough work. It's, it's dangerous. Oh, I've managed reasonably well. Only one thing bothers me. What's that? Those lectures of yours... <laughs> Over this way. You're in a bad way for a fix, don't forget. Yeah. Oh, sit down. I don't know you, Professor. I'm Jimmy Beardsley. I uh, should be jealous. You beat my time with Margie. Jimmy, Alan's in a bad way. Yeah, I notice he's kind of jumpy. Come on, Professor. You stay down here, Marge. Where are we going? I want to show you the view from one of the upstairs rooms. What do you teach the kids? Political science. Oh, I never got hired in the sixth grade myself. I'd probably make five times the salary you do. It's in here. Where is it? Where's what? You're jumpy, proud. Relax. Give it to me. Give you what? You know what I want. Miss, Miss Pendleton told you. Oh, she just told me you were a nice guy. Are you going to supply me or not? Oh, boy, you got it bad. You're shaking all over. Let me out. I, I'll try someplace else. She told me that I you I were... know. Take it easy. I'm just kidding. Here's a fix. It's on the house. Thanks. This stuff's poison. Hmm. How come an educated guy like you goes for it? Hey, take me. I come up the hard way, but I don't touch the stuff. You mind your own business. How do you like that? It's for free, and it's none of my business. I went through the motions of making myself a fix. But instead, I slipped a filthy little capsule in my pocket. Someday, I hoped to see it in court. Then I went back to an easy chair and sank down in it. Jimmy watched me for a few minutes, saying nothing. How is it, Prof? The fix in yet? This rude delight. This boisterous escape. Yeah, it's in. Are you with me, Professor? Yeah, yeah. No, you're not. You're on a big, fat cloud. Sailing along. Exaltation. Sheer exaltation. Mm, sucker. Listen, Prof. Are you listening? I'm listening. How'd you like a month's supply for nothing? Mm, I'd like that. You know Dr. Warner? Nadine? That crotchety, limiting... Yeah, that's him. Well, he's got a daughter, Eleanor. I gotta find out where she is. Are you with me? Infinitesimal specs that we are. I am with you. She's got something of mine. I gotta have it back. Just find out for me where I can reach her. A trinket? A token of love? A little book. I want it back. 
Then have it you shall. You find out where she is, and I'll keep you in stuff for a month. No charge. Thirty swollen, pulsating days. Oh, what's the use? Come on downstairs. Eleanor Warner and the little book Jimmy wanted back loomed as two important items in the case. Next day, I tried to locate the girl without contacting Dr. Warner, but I failed. So that evening, I called on the doctor at his home. He ushered me into his study. I understand your lectures are quite good, Mr. Newhouse. Hmm. You uh, came to borrow some books? No, sir. My reasons for being here are not academic. Really? <laughs> I hope it's not my wine cellar. I have none. I should like to speak to your daughter, doctor. My daughter? Of what concern is she to you? I'm a federal special agent. I'm aware of that. I'd like to question Eleanor. She's away, visiting relatives in another state. What state? Uh, it's no concern of yours. I've been sent here to conduct an investigation into the use and supply of narcotics in this university. And what has Eleanor to do with... Stop fencing, Doctor. Eleanor is an addict. What? How dare you? She may have some vital information for us. Where is she? It's a lie, a rotten, treacherous lie. You'll not help us? You feel you owe nothing to the hundreds of youngsters who may be next on the list? I owe nothing to anybody. Get out of here. Get out. I'll find her without you. Get out! Dr. Warner was following the pattern set by so many parents. He felt that the sheer weight of his denials would remove the ugly problem, nullify its existence. I was determined to find the girl. I did. It took two days of searching inquiries, but finally I found the doctor who was treating Eleanor Warner. He had placed her in a nursing home in a neighboring town. I drove there early the next morning. I made my way up the steps of the Baxter nursing home. Well, what's on your mind, young man? I want to see Eleanor Warner. Nobody here by that name. I happen to know different. Her doctor told me she was Doctor here. or no doctor, no one gets in to see that poor kid. If I've got to throw you out to stop you, I can do it. I won't argue that point. I've done it to bigger and tougher than you. No doubt. In this case, you won't, though. Who says I won't? This does. Read it. Federal special agent. That throws a different light on things, does it? Yeah. Come with me. I don't know what good she'll do you, mister. She's sick. Very sick. Locked up? She's been like a crazy person for near three weeks. We've been cutting her down a bit. It's been tough. She'll tell you anything to try and get to a fix. She'll say we're torturing her. Anything. Don't pay no attention. I stood over the girl. For a minute, I thought she was asleep. Then she turned and sat up suddenly. Where is it? Quick. Hurry before she comes in. I didn't bring anything, Eleanor. Oh, you're kidding. Where's the fix? Give it to me. I haven't got a fix. Jimmy sent you here and, and he didn't send me anything. Wait till I get out, I'll kill him. He didn't send it. You. Couldn't you get me some? Just a little bit, please. Please. I'm sick. So sick. Nobody loves me. You are sick, honey. But lots of people love you. Who? Does Jimmy love me? He said he did, and then he won't help me. Does my father love me? Sure he does. He hates me. He's hated me since the day I was born. I'm no good, and my father only likes good things. Good marks in class, good dates, everything good, or he wouldn't talk to me. 
Once he didn't talk to me for three weeks, and you know why? Go on, ask me why. He loves you, Eleanor. Some people just Because can't. I spilled the coffee. He didn't talk to me for three weeks. You just rest for a minute, and I'll then... never rest again, never. Who sent you? Jimmy. He wants his little book, doesn't he? Have you got it, Eleanor? Sure, I've got it. Does Jimmy want it? I do, too. Where is it, honey? I won't tell you. I won't tell anybody but Jimmy. Is it at home? But where at home? That's the clever part of it. Oh, yes. I'm clever. Don't think I'm not. Nobody will ever think of looking for it where I hid it. Is everything still in the book? All the pages? Yes, all of them. But nobody will ever find it. My father... What about your father? Nothing. Nothing about my father. He's a great man. My father is a... Oh, I've got a terrible yen. Terrible. Just give me a little bit. Just enough to... I've got to leave now, Eleanor. Will you tell me where I can find the book? Send Jimmy. I'll tell him. He should have known I wouldn't tell anyone else. The nurse has got some. I know she has. You just sneak up on her quietly. Very quietly. I'm going now. You come back? Maybe if you ask her nicely. I'll see you, Eleanor. It made me sick to see the signs of decay on the girl's face. The convulsive twitchings, the irrational stream of talk. An 18-year-old kid lost to society, lost to herself, and for what? So Jimmy could make five times the salary of a university professor. When I got back to my room that night, I found someone waiting for me. My fellow agent of the very necessary opposite sex, Margaret Pendleton. Well, it's about time you got back. What won't these college girls think of next? Breaking into men's rooms and... Well, when the man involved is a harmless old agent, it's fully acceptable. You Ouch. <laughs> Did you see the girl? Yeah, yeah. And all the way home, I've been trying to figure out how a guy like Jimmy could get within 20 feet of her. He's good-looking, dangerous. What more does a college professor's daughter want? I'll never understand it. No man would. What about Jimmy's book? She's hidden it somewhere, in her home. Wish I knew what was in it. I think I do. Records, names of suppliers, customers, things well, why like why would that. he give it to Eleanor? It's a sort of insurance policy for those guys. It, that's his hold on his boss. Get tough with me and the records show up. Get it? Well, I hope you're right. This thing's moving fast now. Yeah. Jimmy's going to make you a proposition tonight. What kind of proposition? Taking over here, handling the pushers, collecting. I'm supposed to sound you out on it. How am I doing? Fine. With your setup on the faculty, it's a natural. Well, where do you fit in? I've been telling him we'd work it as a team. Well, sounds logical. We do go pretty well together, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, is that a blush creeping up over that colorproof cheek of yours? <laughs> You're dreaming. <laughs> oh, well, these things happen, I'm told, even to old and harmless special agents. <laughs> well, back to the matter at hand, please. If you're interested, we go see him tonight. Hmm? Where? Same place, Corky's Tavern. Kind of wish you weren't going along. Why? At this stage of the game, anything can happen. Does this rate a clean shirt? Not half as much as a clean 38. Corky's Tavern offered refuge to only a few spenders this evening. Jimmy Beardsley occupied a table all by himself. Not far away from him, an elderly couple seemed to be enjoying a night out. When Jimmy saw us, he waved. 
Sit down. Thanks. This joint makes good spaghetti. Hey, Arnold, two spaghetti. All right. I had mine already. I got tired of waiting. Where you been, Professor? Some research in the library. Listen to him. Research in the library. <laughs> Duh. Margie, uh, you told him about the deal? Vaguely. You interested? Well, I don't know enough about it. It's a cinch, and I'm letting you in on Margie's account. We've been good friends, haven't we, Margie? The best. She's got character and good head for business. Hey, uh, how many pops do you take a day, Professor? Four. And five bucks a cap, that's $20 a day. How much is that a month, Margie? Um, $600. Well, uh, how'd you like to get all that free and some money besides? Well, there are risks, many risks. In this town, you kidding? It's just like running a soda fountain. Three cops for 6,000 people, and that don't count the college students. What, um, what would my duties be? Well, it's simple. My job is to build up a territory, and then I move on. Leave somebody to run it and go and open up a new district. Margie thinks that between the two of you, you could handle it. A man brings in supplies every couple of weeks so we don't have to keep too much on hand. That's right. Um, what's in it for me? Now, now you're talking. Well, we deliver the goods and charge you a fair wholesale price. You resell it and the profit's yours. Mm, I don't know. Well, I could use the money. You too, Alan. It's going to take some cash for the stuff on hand. How much? About 700 bucks. You got that much? We'll get it. Who, um, who supplies us? Well, you'll get to meet him. Don't sound so scared. Just like any other business, you got a product, people want it, that's all. Just, uh, it's just figures on a piece of paper. Yeah, well, I'll, um, I'll think about it. Sure. Oh, yeah, uh, no welching on your accounts with the boss. In this game, you only welch once. Just once. An agent develops a sense of timing that any comedian might envy. It's a sort of intuitive yet rational realization that the end of your case is in sight. One way or another, win or lose, I knew it was going to happen soon. Although it was past 11 o'clock by the time I got Margaret home, I took a walk to Dr. Warner's house. A light was burning in his study. I walked up the steps and rang the doorbell. Who is it? May I come in for a minute, please? New house. What do you want? I must talk to you. Well, come in. What is it, this time of night? It's quite urgent. Uh, sit down. Thanks. I hope you had better sense than to come here to find Eleanor's whereabouts. My feelings on the matter are still the same. I've already seen Eleanor. You've seen her? At the Baxter nursing home. You had the nerve, the, the gross indecency? My assignment made it necessary for me to talk to her. Then why are you here? To gloat? She has hidden in this house a book given her by the man responsible for the narcotics traffic here. I want to find that book. Did she tell you where she hid it? Only that it's here. Somewhere. And what do you propose to do? Look for it, of course. I forbid it. Then I shall go to the police and come back with a warrant. You would do that? Yes. I... I've given my whole life to the girl. You've given as much as you could spare. And that wasn't enough. You... You have no right to say such things to me. You are obstructing justice. Sheltering murderers. Murderers? Those who nearly destroyed your daughter and hundreds of other young men and women. Shall I go and bring back a search warrant? No, I... You may do as you please. I'm going to my room. Good night, Mr. Good night. I found the little black book all right. Tucked away in one of Dr. Warner's books. 
And as I had hoped, it was the record of Jimmy Beardsley's activities. Lists of shipments, their value, dates of delivery, and the names of the consignees. It was written in a clumsy sort of code, and I knew our Washington office would have no trouble converting it into the kind of evidence an agent dreams about. It was nearly three o'clock by the time I got to bed, and it seemed that I had only just fallen asleep when my telephone rang. Hello? Wake up, Professor. It's nearly eight o'clock. What is it? I found out last night that I got to leave town sooner than I thought, so I want your answer. Yes or no? I said I wanted a couple of days. I know, but it worked out different. I, um, I want to talk to Margaret. All right, talk it over with her, and if you're in, bring the money, the cash, to the Fairview Trailer Park. What time? Be there by 11, or don't bother coming at all. All right. I called Margaret, and after we picked up $700 worth of marked money, we drove out to the Fairview Trailer Park. Earlier, I'd alerted the local police and asked them to stake out the whole area. You turned down this road. You know, it's hard to believe it's almost over with. Yeah, the arrogance of the guy. Phones me to come and make the deal. As if it's an ordinary business transaction. That's what beats me. Yeah. Oh, there he is, waiting for us. Hiya. This way. This trailer. Now, what do you see inside? This the boss's? Yeah, yeah, he's on the move all the time, so he covers the route in the trailer. Like a milkman, eh? <laughs> yeah, something like. Ain't this a beaut? Sure is. Yeah, another couple of years, and maybe I'll have one like it. Come on, sit down. Well, where's, uh, uh, whatever his name is? I'll be with you in a minute, Walsh. Hey, shaving, I guess. I want to tell you guys something. This Burke's a good guy. He's on the level. He runs three whole states, and if he likes you, you're in. Oh, thanks, Jimmy. Thank you very much. Oh, here they are, Mr. Burke. Professor Newhouse and Margaret Pendleton. Yeah, very pleased to meet you. Haven't I seen you someplace before, Mr. Burke? Mm, probably last night at the tavern. Oh. I was looking you over. And what conclusion did you come to? I think we'll do extremely well together. I uh, believe you have $700 for me? Yes. Here it is. That's all there is to it? Yeah, Mr. Burke will call you every couple of weeks, Professor. You tell him what you want. And, um... Where do I get the uh, supplies? Right here, in my trailer. Isn't it a little dangerous? <laughs> it's a little jumpy, Mr. Burke. Okay. If there's any danger, I'll be the first to know it. But if I phone you, that means everything's all right. Of course, you'll take the normal precautions. Next time you come for supplies, it should be at night. Yeah, well, I, uh, I guess that's all. Now, if you'll give it to us. All right. These two packages. There's some combination, Mr. Burke. You give him time, and this will be a two-grand push. I shouldn't be surprised. I'd better go now. I uh, I have a class in an hour. <laughs> Don't that kill you. He has a class in an hour. Well, take it easy, Marge. You too, Prof. That's it? Yep. That's all we need. Cops? Yeah. Okay, boys. Take them. Not a spectacular finish, but a good, conclusive one. And that same week, in January of this year, 5,000, yes, 5,000 arrests were made in the biggest narcotic cleanup this country's ever known. Who knows, maybe we finally put a dent in the organization 
whose special aim seems to be the mass murder of our kid brothers and sisters. And oh, yes, yes, there's a... <laughs> there's quite a sequel to this story. Both Margaret and I were deeply involved in it. <laughs> you think you'd like to hear it? All right. Listen. I do. I do. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The roundup of the university narcotics ring closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we'll tell you the story involving highly secret reports on guided missiles in the file case entitled The Torch, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. <laughs> The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. The file case, The University Fix, was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in our cast were Mary Jane Croft, Bill Johnstone, Lynn Allen, Paul Richards, and George Peroni. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. As clearing road conditions throughout the nation beckon the Sunday pleasure driver out onto the highways, once again the National Safety Council sounds the warning to all motorists to drive safely. Follow the example of the men who make their living on the highways of the nation, the truck drivers. They drive carefully and courteously because they are taught to drive that way. They know that careful and courteous driving will keep them alive on America's highways. Be courteous and careful when you drive. Don't chisel in traffic. The life you save may be your own. Follow the campaign of the next president on NBC. Welcome back. This definitely comes from another time. I, I don't think that anyone is shocked by the idea that there are university students hooked on drugs. And, of course, the issue goes deeper than a single bust. I think it's always a really dubious policy for uh, a pusher to have someone who is addicted to the drug sell it. But there are enough stories that indicate that whether it's a good practice or not, there are plenty of drug syndicates that do it at their own risk. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And we have a great email from Jay regarding the episode Silence in or Murder in uh, Vienna. Uh, and he writes, I've been enjoying The Silent Men, but I thought the plot of murder in Vienna was so full of holes I couldn't resist writing. The, notate, the notion that the murdered agent would not have told anyone about his investigation or even made notes is implausible to say the least, especially after an attempt was made on his life. Similarly, is it plausible that he would choose to drive himself and his friends through the Russian section in the dark after someone, presumably Russian, tried to kill him? Would the two agents really confront Elsa in a Russian-controlled hospital 
right in front of the murderer without any plans uh, to get her to safety. The biggest scandal in the investigation was supposedly that prominent U.S. citizens were involved. Uh, but this uh, is a plot line is completely abandoned, which to me brings which brings me to my question. Are these episodes actually based on true stories as claimed? You mentioned the similarities uh, to another podcast, which made me wonder if they are fictional, but represent presented as real for greater impact. Uh, and uh, thanks, as always, for all of your hard work. Well, taking these in uh, order, I guess, uh, regarding him, it is weird that he would not keep notes anywhere. Uh, that seems like a really, uh, really ill-advised uh, practice. Um, I, I think one thing that you do have to keep in mind is even if a series is using a real-life case as its base point, it may change details for dramatic effect and things like that. I do think that he might have been hesitant to share, not knowing who he could tr trust to get uh, to make sure that they didn't send information back to the prominent American. Uh, I, if I recall the episode correctly, they had cut their stumbling into the Russian zone was a bit inadvertent. Uh, you know, they kind of realized they'd done it after they'd done it. I mean, I, I guess probably the, the part that's a little bit more um, unbelievable to me <laughs> would be that the Russians would be like, okay, let's just wait and see if they happen to stumble into our zone. Uh, the agents confronting Elsa in a hospital without plans to get her to safety, I think the challenge that they face is really uh, this, you know, the whole occupation of Vienna was a, you know, it was a multinational occupation uh, with at least token cooperation. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they could have expected to get anything else out of Elsa in the hospital. But because she was in the Russian hospital, their options were limited. So that part I find uh, believable. Regarding the uh, prominent American, the agent who died, died with that information. So they were not able to reconstruct that aspect of the case. I guess from a writing perspective, it would have been nice if they had brought that up or acknowledged that they couldn't uh, capture the... Uh, Americans or find out who was uh, uh, behind it. Uh, but I guess that interfered with how they were wanting to end the episode. Now, as to the question of whether, you know, it was, whether it having been on the episode of Federal Men made it less likely to be true, I would think, I, I would, I, I tend to think that it is likely that um the you know that uh the same event or similar events 
were used as the basis for the case uh, history that was presented on both programs. That will happen sometimes when stories are based on a true story, is that you have, you know, multiple episodes based on the same true story. But I would lean towards the idea that while the basis of the story might be true, there are a lot of details uh, that I would imagine get changed for dramatic license and for other reasons. But thanks so much for the question, Jay, and I'm glad you've been listening. Well, now I, I want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Mick, Patreon supporter since June 2015, currently supporting the show at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Well, that will do it for today. Tomorrow, we're celebrating 3,500 episodes with a special. And then, of course, we have our vacation week, but we will be back in two weeks with another episode of The Silent Men and a special encore presentation, of course, we will have next Saturday. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.